Okay, welcome to Transformation Alley, 24G's podcast for companies and organizations going through digital transformation, as well as some of the challenges and trends that we see here at 24G. I'm today's host, Rich Folly. I'm the Chief Strategy Officer at 24G, and today I'm talking with Dallas Smoke, who's uh, 24G's Chief Technology Officer. First of all, Dallas, thanks for jumping in. It's great uh, to have thanks you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We're going to talk about a lot of things today. Chief Technology Officer applies across the board. Um, we're going to talk a lot about experiential and some of the changes that are happening in that business. But the first thing I thought we'd talk about is really the sort of uh, technology as it applies to our clients. We go direct to brand in some cases, mostly on the enterprise side, large scale projects and data uh, support. Uh, but on the experiential side, on the other hand, we usually work with large agencies. So I wanted you to just explain a little bit about the differences in the business on the technology side. Sure, yeah. Um for the cloud enterprise, we it's direct to brand, business to business, B two B, technology that we write software for their processes and systems, and that's really fun. Uh, big, large uh, user bases, twenty thousand, thirty thousand uh, users using the same uh, software technology, and on the other side, uh, through an agency, it's usually for experiential, and that's where we it's like an imaginarium, where whatever these agencies can dream up we can do, or at least we say, yes, we can do, and then we figure it out in the end. Yeah. Um, but the, the big brands on the other side of them uh, usually farm out the, the different, the physical and the digital builds, and that we, we uh, get to share in that, um, um, that experiential uh, wealth. Yeah, the, one of the, the things we talked about earlier before we started was how we sort of made that, that transition to being an experiential support company for these large agencies. And, and one of the things that we know happened is that back in the day when, when you would go to a conference, it was essentially a big build. I mean, there was lots of fabrication house elements. There was like, you needed desks, you needed presentation areas, you might even need screens. Uh, but now it's become this engagement-driven activation, like Imaginarium, like you mm -hmm. said, where literally they're telling brand stories in the wildest ways, oftentimes with, with technology that we're merging with like existing physical elements. Can you talk a little bit about that transition? And, and it started with auto shows and, and why some of these agencies started knocking on our door. Yeah, um, I would say late 2000s, uh, we had the opportuni opportunity to start doing auto shows uh, f uh, digitally, right? Yes, you're right. It used to be totally physical, maybe some AV there but nothing that's interactive or digital. Uh, we had the opportunity, and um, since we were already doing web courses and programming web courses, our clients said, like, well, you do programming, you can program anything, right? And we, we said yes. So then we, that, that started the opportunities. But um, on, the, on the show floor, you're right. When digital started becoming larger and larger in the, in the late 2000s or even mid-2000s, people or, the, or the, the, the brands needed a way to bring people into their booth and stay in their booth and get butts and seats in the cars, right? So they needed that BSO, that big shiny object, and that was digital. And we were doing digital just for digital sake at the time. No real story, just like, hey, what is that thing over there? I want to go check it out. Now there's it's more cohesive now, but um, it was a great opportunity, and that kind of led to our uh, experiential division now, which we were just uh, doing both web courses and experiential digital. Now they're split up in two almost separate lines of business. Yeah, you talked about earlier, I think that um, they're essentially half and half of our business. I mean, mm -hmm. and I think one of the things that I've seen, at least with the agencies, and I've worked with you on this for a long time too, is that we not only develop it here, all in-house in this big you know, building we're in, this former bowling alley at 24G, where you, you can, it is an imaginarium oftentimes, mm -hmm. the stuff we're building and the games we're, we're creating and the brand stories we're telling. But we're also... 
uh, on site. And so we're there delivering it because some of this stuff is, is complicated and mm -hmm. they, it's not just set and forget. We have to be there and we are actually actively participating in the engagement with those people all the way through the follow through and the setup. Um, and that's, those are two different sides to our, our experiential business. Maybe you can explain sort of how that's all split up too here. Well, yeah, well, you, when you mentioned on site, not every company has a division just has to have technicians that follow the technology, right? You know, sometimes we get the call to do these road shows or auto shows or conferences with only four weeks and they have this great idea and making that come to life has its pitfalls, which is we need someone to be there to make sure it's always running. And we do a great job with that. And we offer that in-house and that's a differentiator that not everyone has. Some some other companies are really good at, you know, um, building digital items, but they don't know how to install that at a experiential event, right? So we've been really good at that, and we have a great team here that's led by Sean and, and Parmer and whatnot. Yeah, sort of legendary characters at Farmer 24G. Charmer. Yeah, everybody everybody knows these folks because mm -hmm. they're on site for so many yeah. of the events. Um, our own experiential has gone through changes as well. One of the things that I've loved is watching how, as technology explodes, and R&D we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, we're starting to do just some really crazy stuff. The stuff we did for Walmart, we're introducing live AR mm -hmm. into their live presentation. Uh, some of the things we do, mixing physical and digital elements. Maybe you can uh, share just some of the digital, we call it digital here, like what that means and, and how we sort of brainstorm some of those ideas and the fact that there's really no limit to what you can do when you start mixing those two yeah. things. Um, so you're right. It's digital uh, is physical plus digital. And, you know, before it was just like, Digital was on its own, and physical was on its own. Now combining that into a cohesive story or cohesive digital s storytelling experience goes a lot farther with the um, with the end consumer. So when you're able to touch something or play with something, and another reaction happens digitally, uh, consumers re remember that. And those are the I, I I believe are the the most items most fun items to work with at 24G. Because it is more of the Imaginarium. You know, clients come to us with sometimes they have an idea already. It's already baked. They're like, we want you to make this. And I'm like, okay, yeah, we can do that. It's going to be really fun. It's going to be a hell of a f four weeks. But we can, we, let's, let's go. And we start ordering things. We start, you know, doing proof of concepts. And we run with it just like we did for Nike, you know, back in 2015 Women's World Cup. You know, it, from soup to nuts, four weeks of building a room that where you could kick a soccer ball against the wall, and it would recognize where you if you hit the targets, you'd get your own uh, personalized poster at the end, and items like that excite me. You know, it's ner a little nerve wracking before they before they go live. Uh, we also did a, a, a nice whack-a-mole for for one of our events uh, where, you know, when you would hit the uh, the moles or the the actual um, pods that we call they're they're simulating pods in, in a in server in, in the cloud uh, um, a really big display would would react and th those are really fun things to work with and gutting an old whack-a-mole machine from a, an arcade a Chuck E. Cheese or whatever it be and be able to work with that and make it come to life and it, um, it's just one of the most fun things I think we do here. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, we did a vending. We did a vending. We do a mm -hmm. lot with vending machines where you, you know, you can activate things and you can tell stories with vending machines and get stuff back. We've done using Twitter. Yeah, you know, using text message, you can activate it. You can get like we call it social currency. You tweet for a treat, 
So yeah. it was always fun. The t-shirt gun, the digital t-shirt gun, which is essentially sending like, you know, t-shirts off into a crowd with this actual t-shirt gun, but it's shooting digitally and hitting people in the crowd and yeah. you get points. I, one that I loved a lot too, and I'm just, now we're just kind of going down memory lane <laughs> with all of our favorite uh, activations, but the US Open uh, stuff that we worked on with another big agency uh, and with a big car company, where literally you're using large touch screens and tennis rackets and games that you're playing. Mm -hmm. And lines are out the door for people to activate some of those things. So the, these these are brand stories, but they're fun to play with, and you remember them. But they're getting more complicated now. Now, now people want to share them, or they want to send them, and there's metrics involved. And so, how do I get a video of myself doing this and right. be able to put it on my phone immediately or share it socially with the world right now? Right. And and people not only want to share it right now, but but our clients want to know exactly how many people shared it right now, yeah, not exactly. just through real time a, metrics and everything. We, we, we provide that. Yeah. So t talk about how that's evolved a little bit. Like it was more just about sort of this is fun and this is great. And then getting into the social side and then getting into some of the metrics components and then just getting more more detailed and complicated for our, for our programmers, obviously. Yeah. I, well, I think the, the social side of, of things started back in like, I think, 2010 for us, at least, where we had time slice which is our 360 uh, degree camera rig and it wasn't enough to just say like you did this here here's this here's this video file right our clients or at least we we pitched it to our clients that guess what we can share it, share it socially right away facebook was just blowing up back then uh, you could text it to yourself which is which was also big back then you had to actually think about data rates and um that instant availability to be able to share socially resonated with our clients like crazy so then that's where we we invented or we we um we created a, a product called social gen where you capture anything and share it instantly yeah and now we expand expanded to so we have twitter facebook instagram uh god you name it um linkedin so if it's a work event you want to show it what, what cool things you're doing at some kind of conference that's always good and text email and then not just, have, oh, we'll get those metrics for you in a, in a week. Or that email will be sent out in a week or whatever. It'll be in your inbox. We're not processing it later. We're processing it now along with the metrics. And clients like that, they, they can see in our campaign manager what's going on that day. Yeah. And the, the world of physical uh, events have changed drastically in the last couple of years, especially with the, the pandemic uh, and the need for touchless activations and other elements that you know you used to always share an iPad or something and then mm -hmm. soon you had to start thinking about touchless or using your own device. How has that challenged your own team to think about experiential activations and, and working with our large agency partners and others just to kind of make that transition? Well, I think over the last 18 months or when the, the pandemic when it's actually been forced upon us, not forced in, in a bad way, like clients are expecting something that's touchless now we were doing touchless anyway it's just because the coolness factor with like you wave your hand over and then all these things light up and it would just like that's that big shiny object but we just kind of applied what we've always done in the past and made it um, trigger a button for to ca capture a photo now or something that you would normally click a button or touch a screen you can just wave a hand or so we've had to do that within the last 18 months and integrate that into our technologies. Now that's waning now, right? As people, uh, things open back up and people are not um, as uh, um, standoffish about um, being close to people or close to technology or touching other things that other people touched. So it definitely transformed us for a while and we were going down a really big route with that, but it's kind of waning.
that the the fact that this stuff is changing so fast um, and that we have to stay up on it so that our agency partners and others can stay up on it. And mm -hmm. we're usually the ones who are running out front. Um, how do you stay, how does the team stay in front of the breaking technologies, understanding what's next? How does the R&D work here? And, and how do you consistently feed your agencies the most up-to-date technology that's mm -hmm. available? Well, just like any, any anyone else, you know, we follow Twitter, we follow you know, Wired, you know, we follow Ars Technica, all these Mashable, whatever it is, um, we follow all that. And plus, we're just doing our own research. And when we see something and we like it, we get it. Like, let's order it tomorrow because we want to play with it. And that, you know, we're not going to do a, a full-blown R&D um, proof of concept of this idea, but we just want to understand the technology. And understanding the technology allows us to speak intelligently to our clients and to the agencies um, in those meetings and either say, like, that's a great idea you have or maybe just tweak it a little bit because of this because you can't interact with this. So there's no digital interface or SDK or API for this. So getting that in-house and not worrying about, like, a budget, saying, like, like the T-shirt printer we, we bought. Okay, let's just get it and figure it out and make sure we can print instantly or that uh, a, a new camera or a new um, sensor. Just get it in, play with it, just so we can be that much further ahead so we can speak intelligently. It goes a long way. Yeah, I think people who would come take a, a walk through 24G would be just as excited about the stuff that's in the dark closet in the back that we have you know, bought over the years to, to check out that, as they would yeah. the stuff that we're working on that's brand new. Some, like of, the, some of that technology, even though we, have, you know, we buy it right away, it does become defunct maybe in a year or two, and that's okay. It just needs to last for those shows and, it, and excite people for those shows, and then it gets put in a closet and maybe it'll show up again. You never know, but you know, it's, we're on the ready. Yeah. One mm -hmm. of the things that I've noticed too, is that a lot of that experiential R and D, a lot of the stuff that was really driven about making crowds excited about a brand or a moment and something they can share is now starting to seep into some of our B2B work. Like this idea of engagement is an idea that, that is, you can find anywhere in our company. It doesn't matter which client, doesn't matter if it's B2B or B2C. But now some of those technologies that, that I think a lot of companies in their training and stuff didn't think about because either they were out of reach expensive-wise or they just didn't really blend in, we're starting to now imp you know, implement on, on some of those, whether it's um, our VXP product, which is really a, uh, an event platform, or our LXP platform, which is really about communication and training and connection and social connection. We're starting to understand that there's this crossover between the two. And how do, how do your teams like work together like that are working on some of the technology? Is there really definitive breakdowns between those two sets, or are you seeing a lot of cooperation between the teams? No, we have uh, different areas, um, not only in our business with the B2B and the experiential, but we also in our departments, right? So we do have our experiential developers, we have our back-end developers, we have our front-end developers. And when they, when these events need to bridge the gap between on and off-site, we need to engage all departments to work together. So you'll have those kiosks on site. You'll have those QR codes that direct you to a website. That's where our you know our B2B or cloud team kind of jumps in. And having those disciplines in-house and be able to work together and not separated by some kind of line really helps us to be able to um, collaborate with our clients and, and, and not just be so siloed into, no, you can only do things on site or no, you can only do this on, online. Uh, 
I think that really goes a long way and our clients see it too. Yeah, why, why do you think our clients, they come back over and over again. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's some that have been with us for a long, long time. They, they probably could if they felt like they wanted to go out and try to build, you know, something like this. But why do you think they come back to 24G? What is it about this place that they feel is better to, rather than building one of their own, in, in this case, coming back to us and, and just teaming up? With the short timelines, that they provide us with, which are exciting, and to see it come together um, and executed in a great way, it's like a win moment for them, and they don't want to have to experience the other side of that. So they know it's gonna it's gonna work well. They know that they're gonna get what they want in the end. If you try to do it in house, first of all, you got to manage developers, and you got to manage this whole team, and you might not get that speed. And that's one thing that we do is like that speed is and being nimble. You don't see that everywhere. Like we got to have this huge timeline. We got to have make sure you do this, make sure you do that. And we don't we don't have these this uh, red tape here to do try to get things done. And it shows in our R and D as well. But on the flip side of that, when you're doing experiential and you're trying to build your own team, once in a while they're going to give you too big of a price, or they're going to no, that's going to cost us much. When there, and there's no flexibility sometimes in there. We've seen that many times when some of our clients or past clients have bought an experiential shop or, or a digital agency, and they try to get um, something that's not off the shelf, something that's in an Imaginarium, and they're like, yeah, we can do that, but it's gonna be $300,000. So like, well, I can't do that. Let's talk to 24G, let's see who it is. And uh, it's, it's the speed, it's the budget, and it's, um, knowing it's going to get done right, which keeps them coming back and hopefully make sure they don't do it in-house as well. Yeah, one of the things that I've, I've loved to watch with the agency partners that we have, some of the biggest in the world, um, they they don't just give us something necessarily and say, make it. They, they, get, they come to us with a, a general idea and then they, they now are leaning into our expertise and some of the things that we've done and knowing that we have a lot, you know, deep experience doing this. And they'll, they'll lean into that and we can help guide them to a solution that one, fits their budget, but two, can get done in time. And mm. three, will dazzle and entertain and engage, which is what they're really looking for. So I think that they have that, that combination that really uh, helps them too. I would agree. The, the other thing that I will say is that like when I started here, that was the thing that was really hard, uh, was the, I think the biggest adjustment for me was just how fast we worked. Um, and I, you know, you set the tone for that from the beginning, Dallas. Like, you know, it was tough to keep up with you in the, in the early days of my arrival because it just wasn't the way most companies work. We, we are fast. Um, I'm not saying that we um, aren't careful and doing a lot, but I'm telling you like, I've never seen a place move as quickly as 24G and never, never any place that I've ever worked. How do you build a culture of speed like that and just maintain it? And when people come on board, how do you make sure that they understand that's part of the dynamic and the DNA and the brand story of 24G? Hmm, that's a tough one. I think they they see it when they come on. They know they have to be fast. They got to be able to catch up or they're not going to last, to be honest. And I think you know, being in those meetings and not waiting two more, three day, more days or one week to have the next meeting. Like you're going bop, 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 bop. We got to keep going, keep moving. Order that. There's no budget approval. We just got to go, right? Because in the end, the trust is what keeps the keeps it going. At least as far as our, client, our clients are concerned, and we can't lose that trust. Well, that might mean you're uh, doing late nights, trying to make sure it, it's it's robust enough to be able to be shipped out 
and um, for the for the roadshow or for that conference. It's more. I think the culture uh, begets itself, right? Being being in the culture, it's like it. Um, it's great energy. I yeah. Mean. No, I, 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 I no, I totally agree. And um, being here and being even virtual now, it it becomes you, and it's like it either stay or you go. Yeah, people who uh, are here love that speed and pace. Um, you know you're working on stuff that's like cutting edge and there's next mm -hmm. level stuff to it too. For exper experiential, for sure. Oh, for sure, mm -hmm. yeah. I think uh, we should talk about some of those technologies. One of the things that like, you know, people were coming to us a long time ago asking about stuff and we're, we're not shy about our opinions. Um, you know, people were, got very excited about VR for a while and AR. Mm -hmm. Um, those things are all unfolding now. You're starting to see them actually get into real life applications, especially with AR, but now you're seeing it with VR too. Um, we've d been doing a lot with AR and VR, and I, I'm curious about your take on um, where that stands, especially as an application that you can, not just on um, uh, at experiential, but with AR, you're seeing it in training now, and people are asking for more of that. We're doing stuff with some of our biggest clients like Volkswagen with AR now. Talk about some of the, the, the R&D for that and how we're starting to implement it. Yeah, so um, you know, for AR or augmented reality, it's not always enticing enough to just like just go on your phone, right? That used to be um, great in late 2000s, early two, 2010s. But now they need another way to engage, another way to excite the, the, the end user. And that's why these new technologies are popping up all the time. So for augmented reality, for example, you know, if you want to see what's going on with a car without having a technician in front of you, you can do that with an iPad. You can do that with, with your phone now, which is great. And especially with the onset, uh, onset with of mobile AR versus, uh, now I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about app AR because there's, you used to have to download an app and uh, install it and only could do AR if you did that. Now you can do it on your on your um, your browser. You know you have your Android device or Safari, and you can get AR in your using your camera on your phone right away without installing that. So there's no barrier of entry there, which is really nice because everyone already has that on their phone. And it, again, you see these QR codes uh, pop up, and already people already know what they're what they're for. And then if you bring them to an AR experience, they're more likely to stay engaged, not just go to the site, but also stay engaged and learn something new about your brand. So that, from the augmented reality sense, it's been great because it's, now it's accessible to everyone. VR, on the other hand, is a little, a little, little different. Uh, you know, for, from the experiential side, we've always been on the side of it's, the throughput isn't there. You're going to have a great experience once you do one, but you might only get 50 people a day doing it. Where if you do something a little different, you might get a thousand people a day, right? Or hundreds, and um, it's more engaging for sure. And I, I think might change within the next couple of years with the, especially because consumers know how to work with it now. I mean, the the last few holidays, a lot of people have been getting Oculus um, quests. Yeah, I got one. Yeah. Oculus yeah. too. Yeah, I, 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 my kids got one as well. And now they use it every day, right? It's not a foreign thing. They can start it up on their own. Like it still wows at the house, um, but translating that into the experiential world has been a little difficult as far as uh, throughput is concerned. But you still get the wow. The um, what's going to be interesting is in the next couple of years to see how it changes when Apple gets into the mix. You know, in 2023 they're supposed to be uh, releasing their new headset 
8K display inside. Yeah. You know, I see all these renderings, how cool it looks, but we'll see how they do it. And, you know, Apple, they're going to they're gonna do it um, pretty uniquely. And it should be interesting to see what they come up with. Yeah, we have had a lot of people knocking on the door with training uh, requests. I mean, things where there's either too much danger or you don't necessarily have the ability to have the, a vehicle in front of you or any other type mm -hmm. of training where there might be uh, – you know, some some reason not to actually have to yeah. interact. We had, you know, fire protection and things like that, where you don't necessarily want to put someone in, in harm's way. I think there's some interesting things that are going to happen there, and um, we're we're definitely. I, I like to see us experimenting with it here at, at 24G as well. No, oh, it's really fun, and especially with the plane tracking, where you can set this maybe a vehicle or whatever in right in front of you on your in your living room, and you can walk around it, right? Yeah. And maybe touch something, and it, it explodes apart. And you can learn more without having to read a book, yeah. right? It just, it's just another way to engage, and it, it's, it's really enticing. Yeah, and all senses sort of activated, too, mm -hmm. including, including uh, hands and, and touch. Um, where we're headed now, though, as you look forward, really thinking about uh, some of the new te technologies that people are asking for and, and finding a way to, to stay on top of that. One of the things that I also really enjoyed when we're working with some, uh, folks is that there's a always thinking about how to engage, how to get people playing with something, sharing something, touching something, running with something, and, and competing oftentimes. I like the fact that we tap into just human emotion that is pretty straightforward in a lot of cases. Like, you want to beat the guy next to you in something. Mm -hmm. So a lot of our activations are, are about competing. Uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about our crowd play activation and, and how we're you know, challenging one another and, and that human desire to just win. You, know, is to, you, know, you put that into the mix as mm -hmm. well. Yeah, so a lot of our technologies do include that gamification. And um, to me, I, I, I like competition. So whether I, I just want to win something or just or get better or you know be in a certain percentile there, you know I mean a lot of people go to workout classes and there's those splat points or those points and people just they work harder they try harder they engage more right and we try to bring that into into our technology as well whether it be experiential or B two B so for experiential we have this product called CrowdPlay where you know you, you have the jumbotron at a stadium and fifty thousand fans can go to the same site and play a game on the large screen at the same time. And it's, you know, imagine getting 50,000 people to do anything and then digitally and then have them engage on their phone. It's a great way for brands to kind of um, capture their audience. And then on, on, on the B2B side, you know, with our LXP product, our learning and experience platform, having that gamification and training, it goes a long way. Seeing that leaderboard, oh, wow, this this uh, person has this many points. I want to get those many that many points. How do I get that? Oh, I got to watch this training. I got to get this badge. I got to do this thing. It goes a long way to create continued engagement as well. Yeah. We work with a lot of big IT departments. You talked about LXP. And those are often working with Fortune 500 level companies and having to work with their security teams, their IT departments. Can you talk about how we do that? I mean, that's something that I think is uh, one of the benefits that we bring to the table. We understand the needs of these big companies, we understand the requirements, and we know where our sandbox is, and we play pretty well with all these others. Can you can you explain, though, how that's evolved over time, especially on the security front? Yeah, so it, it definitely has evolved. It's, you know, it's in the forethought of everyone's brain. It used to be an afterthought. Okay, let's build something, then make it secure. But now we have to make everything secure from the get-go, from the sales process all the way to when we de deploy and deliver or we launch. It has to be in there. And 
during the sales process, you're right. It, IT departments are at the table, right? Not like, okay, let's see how they did. <laughs> let's see how they scored. They want to know what we're get, what they're getting into. And being SOC 2 certified now goes a long way because we've done the hard work. We've done, we've, we've implemented policies and procedures here that not just a set it and forget it, it's an everyday thing. And when we have to provide that report to these large IT agencies or, or, or brands, um, they feel secure. They feel comfortable working with us. And that makes the, the, the business uh, owner um, at the other side that's trying to purchase the program or, or, go, or go through with the program feel that much more comfortable as well. Going through that SOC 2 certification here made us stronger. And it, it's in the software development life cycle. It's in every um, template or and um, deployment we do. It's in our project planning meetings that our, you know, our um, InfoSec director sits in and makes sure that we're doing what we should do as well. So a lot of checks and balances here. And in the end, the product that we deliver is more secure and we feel safe that it's going to stay secure. Yeah, the SOC 2, maybe for people who, I mean, most people I think understand SOC 2 now who are in this space, but for those that don't, um, it was a long process for us. I mean, it was from the audit to the actual execution of the SOC 2 uh, mm -hmm. certification. Can you explain that process and what a company like 24G has to go through to actually become certified? Yeah, um, I'll do my best here. It was an so, epic journey. I it was an epic that. journey. It's more about, okay, here's what your processes are, but this is what we need and this is what you need to do. And more about like, it's not like we have a bunch of bodies to just like throw at that. So we have to iterate through time. So like, okay, what can we, what can we work on now? What can we work on this week? What can we sprint for the, for the next two weeks? Just, and then also bother our developers that are working on all these crazy um, experiential products or our, our B2B products to take a step back and do these set of items. So it's it's a monumental effort with the crew that we had to engage with. Now, if we had you know, a lot of people just um, that had open time, we probably would have get, got done with it sooner. But we have our day jobs and then um, the security, uh, Kevin, who's one of our uh, director of Info information security, uh, he can only go so far with the things he can touch. You know, if a front end needs a change, he's not going to go and uh, type the code, but he can create the ticket to say, like, we need, th need this done. So he only goes so far, and then we need to engage the rest of the team. But now that, like, we're sort of getting through Omicron, uh, you know, we, we lost a lot of business for a while on the experiential side, especially where mm -hmm. everything had to shut down and people couldn't be together and there was no physical events for a long time. Uh, they do seem to be bouncing back, and they seem to be powering through this Omicron surge hanging in there. I know this will be dated, you know, in five minutes because yeah. there will be some new sub variant or something. Mm -hmm. But um, what, is, what are you seeing for the rest of 2022 right now? I know you can't see the total crystal ball, but but experiential seems like it's making a rebound. Yeah, it's just, I think it's the same crystal ball we saw a year ago. And we were sitting in the meetings, right? And we were like, it, experiential was dead in the water. And we, we kept so much of our staff because we knew it was going to come back. We knew it. And we thought it might be March or April in 2021. That didn't happen. Right? We saw a little bit of it in July, but it really hit hard Q4, and we were ready for it, which is great. It was right back to um, old times here. People hustling and bustling, just getting shit done, working long hours, having fun doing it, and then Omicron hit. Uh, luckily, it was not luckily. 
thankfully it was done during the holiday season where it's it was a little bit um, calmed down here anyways so um, for 2022 as that subsides I expect I expect a, a monstrous year for us on that side uh, we, we we have constant leads and constant estimates going out and it's exciting to see um, it bring back uh, come back up yeah and it'll I, it'll continue it seems like people are very hungry to, to be together again. yeah I think yeah. People, and if I can go on a little bit of a diet not a little bit diatribe I think people's appetite to lock themselves down anymore is gone so um, people are willing to go out there and they they know there's a little bit of risk and um, I think companies know that as well so um, we'll see what 2022 brings yes yeah, right now it seems to be uh, hopping yeah. I just got back from CES and some other big events and it seems like we're, we're powering through a lot of auto shows coming mm-hmm. up uh, everybody crossing their fingers we want to keep it yeah, going exactly um, well, you talked about old times, uh, and it felt like old times here. When I started here, you were like, you, you know, you've been a hustler since I've known you, Dallas. But like, you've been in the middle of this experiential business from the beginning, um, and it's all always been about speed and about execution and about perfection, right? I mm-hmm. mean, just kind of delivering a product you can get there. And, and you've always had gotten your hands dirty with that from the beginning, as long as I've known you here. How did you get interested in it? And and it seems like it's a perfect fit for you. Where did where did it all come up for you? And how did you just kind of glom onto this? Because this isn't where you started. You didn't start off as a chief technology officer. You were doing other things with mm-hmm. your, your life and career when you were younger. How did I come on to 24G? Well, or, more or, like or how just... did this like world just explode into your life? I mean, this technology world, and you're now chief technology officer, and it's it's your it's who you are. Mm-hmm. So like, well, how did that all happen for you? Well, just growing up, you know, being um, getting my first. Apple IIe computer back in the 80s, you know, and just trying to click on everything you can you know, without worrying about breaking anything. And if you didn't, figured it, you could figure it out, right? So it started at a young age. That continued into um, high school and building your own computers and stuff like that. So I've always been technology, uh, technologically savvy, I should say. And then, um, you know, I went to school to be a teacher. And, um, and so after that, after after college and I graduated, I became a substitute teacher, and I was still, you know, behind the scenes, uh, building my own computers, writing writing software, uh, and just exploring everything there was to do with computers and, and, and digital. And then, you know, then uh, went to a party one day, and I saw Scott there, and I was trying to Scott Weemels, our Scott Weemels, yeah, yeah, I, I was trying to decode these. Um, or encode these, these, this video. And I didn't quite get this one step and I was asking him and we were kind of talking about it. And he's like, wait, do you know technology? I'm like, yeah, I know technology. He's like, you're looking for a job. I'm like, kind of, I'm just a substitute teacher at the, at the moment. And he's like, well, how about you come work for me? I'm like, let's do it. I'm like, if I can work <laughs> with technology and not have to wake up in the morning and say like, do I have a, a, a gig today? Substitute teaching. It was great. And then, um, so we were working in, you know, in his, uh, in his basement and in his kitchen sometimes at that time we were just kind of working on web courses and, uh, and training manuals. And I wasn't even doing the programming or the designing at the time. And, um, I did eventually get a, a call to be a full-time teacher, which I took and just moonlighted at the time doing this with Scott. And, you know, I, eventually there was a need for we needed a designer of these training manuals or the designer of these web courses and i'm like hey i'll, I'll figure it out if, you, if i can download photoshop let's do it or or indesign so i got into doing a lot of design that way 
Um, not as good as their team here, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but adequate enough. But at figuring the time. it out. Too. Yeah, figuring yeah. It out. That's exactly what it is. And then time became like we're, we're going to start programming our own web courses. And I'm like, well, let me try it. I'll try it. I'll download Flash for for those uh, listeners that know what that is. I started programming in Flash, and then I was a main programmer for a couple couple of years there, just doing that. And then there became a need to be, you know, start working with clients directly because um, maybe Scott said, you know, thought I could do it. So then I was programming and project managing the same project at the same time. And then I we started to uh, hire more developers on staff, and that that was great, right? You now you could hand it off, so then I could get rid of that development role. But I I became an account manager at the time too. So but I I knew enough of the technology where I can direct how it should be made. So I was kind of AM, PMing at the same time. And then at that point, I, know I knew enough about, we were doing so much experiential at the time, so many auto shows, so many uh, South by Southwests and conferences that I knew enough to be, uh, to direct others in, in, in that position. And that was great, you know, just be able to say like, this is how we should do it. Um, let's get it done. And those are, I think that was like the 2017 time or 2016, 2015. So, um, so grew up in, in, in uh, for 10 years, grew up into, the, in, into that role there. And then eventually Scott tagged me and it's like, do you want to be the chief technology officer? I said, for sure, definitely. Um, and then I started, you know, working with the, the B2B and cloud enterprise stuff and kind of directing that. And the team we have here, really, it's a more kudos to them than anything. They, they know how to build and they know how to build right and, and, and sustainably. That's the, that's the amazing thing to, to see just the evolution of this company. Uh, and, and in a relatively short period of time, but the last five years especially, the acceleration has been incredible. Um, that's a lot of your DNA, Dallas. Uh, you know, this company has like kind of got your pace built into it. Um, I, I think anybody who steps in understands that's what it's going to be, and you start to recognize <laughs> you're going to be running. Uh, and I think that's an energy source for our company that – is one of our it's one of the it's part of the secret sauce i think for 24g so it's, it's so fun too. to be around um well listen dallas thank you uh, very much for being a part of transformation thank alley you. today uh, i know there's a lot of uh, new exciting technologies i have a feeling you're going to be back at the table before long to talk about some I new so. things this that is are fun. it really yeah. was all right i appreciate it a lot thanks dallas yeah, thank you rich and for all of you watching you can learn more about 24g at 24g.com you can also follow us on linkedin on instagram or facebook and don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite streaming service. 